If only, if only we could have eyes to see the eternal value that is being worked out every single time we meet, we would never miss church again. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part 11, the final of Blessing God for Every Spiritual Blessing from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul has been taking his congregation through the book of Ephesians, and this series has been from chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and it's clear that we will return to Ephesians often in the future. We believe this series is very impactful for the church at this time, and we've asked Pastor Paul to join us for a brief conversation. So, Pastor Paul, the climactic part of this series instructs believers about the local church, yet many professing believers don't attend church. Matt, that's a sad reality. As I mentioned in an earlier conversation, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Ephesian church, he uses the word mystery And there it refers to the glory of God's design in the church. Paul loved the diversity that he could see there in Ephesus as he saw Jew and Gentile coming together to worship now as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, of course, the church has many features. There's lots to say about the church. But one thing to which I draw your attention, in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul writes three times to the praise of his glory. This is instructive for us because it reminds us when we come together as the church, it is one of the primary means by which we might praise the glory of our Father in heaven. Thanks, Pastor. And please listen, Christians. You bless God by being an active part of your local church. Here's the conclusion of our series, Blessing God for Every Spiritual Blessing, with part 11. If I had asked you the question some decades ago, tell me about yourself, you would have said something like, well, I'm married to this person, I'm employed by this person, I'm obligated towards this person, I have responsibilities towards these folks. That's what you need to know about me. The definition of self decades ago would have been with reference to those around the individual. Today, as a marker of our individualism, tell me about yourself. I like this, and I really enjoy this, and this is what I love to spend my time doing, with almost no mention of any sense of responsibility towards others. And so that causes problems for Christians. This is a a real issue in society, and it has bled into the local church. It is in the thinking of the local church such that Christians today do not understand the local church as the utmost priority as it relates to their salvation. It ought to be the utmost priority of the Christian to identify themselves with reference to the local church. Tell me about yourself. There is one thing you need to know. I am a member of this local church. That's how I'm defined. 
And with that comes the implication that I'm saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would Paul's emphasis on the church be a great comfort to the Ephesians? Why would he labor this so as to shore them up in their identity of themselves as the pressure around them is increasing? In part, we might be tempted to say, well, there's strength in numbers. You emphasize the corporate nature of their Christianity, and sure enough, they'll find strength in their numbers. But you quickly see that can't be the logic. That can't be the logic for at least two reasons. Number one, the church that God calls you to could be very, very, very small. In God's wisdom, he might call you to a very, very, very small church, and all of a sudden, the strength in numbers argument doesn't work. Secondarily, the strength in numbers argument does work for a social club. You can go and join any organization, and if it's large enough, regardless of what marks that organization, you'll find a sense of strength in their numbers. So that can't be Paul's argument for laboring the priority of the church in the believer's life. Rather, I think it goes back to the centrality of the church in redemptive history. And we rehearse this that first night in the book of Acts. Simply stated, it is the crown jewel of redemptive history. It is the bride of Christ. It is God's chosen instrument for how he is progressing his plan of salvation. If you want to know about God's design for bringing glory unto himself that will culminate in the last day with the return of Christ and the nations praising him, You don't need to look any further than the local church because that's it. The Bible teaches us the centerpiece of God's outworking of his plan right now in redemptive history is the local church. I'll say it again and you'll hear me say this again and again. It is the most significant institution on planet earth, period. There is no other institution on planet earth that has more significance than the local church. Any Bible-believing, Bible-teaching local church de facto is the most significant institution at the point that it meets. You don't want to be anywhere else. You don't want to be at any other organization because there is no other business or profit-making corporation or group of people within which such eternally significant work is happening than the local church. If only, if only we could have eyes to see the eternal value that is being worked out every single time we meet. We would never miss church again if we could see what God does through the singing of a hymn together. I truly believe that each and every time the church meets on the Lord's Day and sings a song of praise to God, there are things that are happening that we will only appreciate in glory. And we will stand there and say, I had no idea that that was what God was doing when we sang together. If we could only see what God is doing when corporately we bow our heads and close our eyes and together we pray to him. I truly believe in that moment he is doing eternally significant things, the likeness of which we have no comprehension. If we could but see the eternal value 
of the tiniest acts of service that happen on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. As one brother serves another, as one sister serves another, as someone responds to the plea, we need more workers in the nursery. I'll go because it needs to be filled. No, no, no. You'll go because you have no idea how eternally significant that act of service is. We need someone to help fold the bulletins. I'll do it because I truly believe that through this institution, unlike any other institution on planet Earth, God is doing eternally significant things in everything that we do together. So why would you choose to be anywhere else ever? When the church doors are open, I'll be there. Now, it's when and only when you have located that theology of the church in your heart, when you've put it in here and you've embraced it and you've said, I'm going to choose to believe it. I don't necessarily see it. I can't see what is happening when we sing together or when I serve in the nursery. I don't see it because it's supernatural in its nature, but I'm going to choose to embrace it. When you have done that, the church becomes for you a great haven. You see how this is such an encouragement for Paul to tell the Ephesians, God chose us. God loved us. We together enjoy the benefit of sonship. We corporately have been called into this body as he labors the plural pronouns in this paragraph, emphasizing what will become the major theme of this letter, the local church. He is issuing to them a great balm for their souls. This is a safe place for you, Christian. This is supposed to be a safe place for you. And I do believe as the Ephesians saw what was going on out in the street and they were feeling the pressure, the doctrine of the church suddenly became very precious to them. Perhaps the lethargy that is seen amongst Christians today toward the church is in part because we have not yet felt the pressure from other entities. Let me encourage you right now to be fostering that theology of the church and acting upon it. The day of testing for the church in the West hasn't come yet, at least not in its fullest expression. But that doesn't mean that you can't foster and act upon this theology of the church. Husbands, lead your wives. By bringing them to church. Lead your families. By setting the expectation in your home. That if the church is gathering. We're going to be there. But dad. These folks aren't going. It doesn't matter. Whether they're going to be there or not. The church is meeting. But but dad. This is happening tonight. and, And I just know. It's really important. And I know that this is hard and I know that we're tired and and there would be a thousand reasons to not be at church tonight. But we're going to be there because it's the most important institution on planet Earth and we have membership. So we're going to be present and we're going to trust that God is doing 
through us and in us, every single time we meet, eternally significant things. This is why Paul labors the reality of the church, the Ephesians. God chose you to be part of the church. So as, last part of the sentence now, so as to praise him. This is the third prominent theme within this eulogy. Paul labors God's will, the exercising of his will. Paul labors the church or the corporate nature of their Christianity. And then three times, as you know, he says, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. I would dare to say that had Paul carried on this sentence, if he hadn't finished at verse 14, but he just kept going, and there's more to say, if he had carried on, I would dare to guess that that phrase would show up a few more times. It seems to be the drumbeat of what Paul is saying here. He is showing us, at least part of what he's doing, is showing us that the nature of the God who has saved us is self-exalting. Now just think about that. The nature of the God who saved you is self-exalting. If it wasn't, he wouldn't be God. God cares more than anything else, for his glory. And if that weren't true, he wouldn't be God. Something else would be. This is so crucial to our understanding of the gospel. If we don't meditate upon verse 6 and 12 and 14 and see the end of this trajectory being the praise of his glory, we start to foster a self-centered gospel. We start to meditate and delight in a gospel that is focused entirely on us. God saved you above all things to bring him glory. Jonathan Edwards wrote an essay that many of you will know entitled, The End for Which God Created the World. The End for Which God Created the World. And I'll just summarize it for you now. His glory. You should read it. I know you've got a lot of other things to be reading. You might not get around to it for some time. I'll just give it to you in the synopsis form. Jonathan Edwards says his glory is the end for which God created the world. Now, the reality, as you know, by virtue of Genesis chapter 3 and our own sin, our own choosing, our own rebellion, the reality is that all of humanity is walking in the opposite direction. God created the whole universe with one purpose in mind, to bring him glory. He sets a very clear arrow for the cosmos to follow. All of humanity, by virtue of our sin, is going in the other direction. Not willing, not able to bring him glory. What Paul asserts here is that through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God graciously picked you up. And he turned you around. Humanity is going in the opposite direction, not at some tangent in the completely opposite direction to the end for which God created the world. 
And God, by his grace, picked you up and turned you around so that now your life is oriented in the same direction for the end which God created the world. You are now able and willing to praise God. Now, notice, just going back in my sentence, one of the realities of the church is that that is the sphere in which God is most praised. This is why you don't want to live an individualistic Christianity. Can you bring God praise by yourself on a Tuesday morning? Absolutely. Yes and amen. Can you bring God praise on a Thursday evening in your small group? Of course you can. Can God be praised at a Christian conference with thousands of attendees? Of course he can. But by his design, the sphere in which he will most be praised is the local church. And by his grace, God picked you up. He reoriented your entire life so that now you are able to praise him and join with the rest of the cosmos in bringing him glory. And your responsibility is to order all of your salvation benefits under that priority. As you think about your adoption, your election, God's grace, your redemption from sins, the forgiveness of your trespasses, your inheritance, your Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, as you think about these, all of them fit under the imperative to praise God. All of these things are true of you in order that he would get more praise in your life. Now in his wisdom, he has not called you home yet. In God's wisdom, he picked you up, he reoriented you in line with the direction for which the earth was created and now you can praise him, but for some reason he hasn't called you to glory, you're here And so think about that in accordance with my picture that I've created. You're going in this way and there are thousands coming in this way. Not praising God. So it would stand to reason that from time to time you hit up against somebody. There are thousands coming in this direction not praising God. And your life according to God's grace is striving to bring him glory. And from time to time, as you make your beeline towards his glory and thousands come in this direction, your shoulder will hit up against someone with a society that is headed in the other direction. That's the reality of being a Christian on this earth right now. And quite possibly in the days ahead, there'll be more and more and more contacts for the Christian church in America. And so what you need to do is instill in your heart a deep conviction concerning the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I not going to change my behavior even though the going is getting tough? Because the end for which God created the world is his glory and he, by his grace, has oriented me in such a way that I can join in with that effort. So no matter how hard it gets, I'm not going to turn around. That is what Paul wants the Christians in Ephesus to know and to embrace. God chose you to be part of the church so as to praise him. Now again, in our context, we haven't felt perhaps what the Christians in Ephesus were feeling at the time of writing. 
Though I do think we're seeing more of it. One of the realities of our day is that it seems to be right now, if you say the wrong thing and you say it publicly enough, folks are going to come and look for you. They're going to try and make your life a misery. It wasn't that long ago that I saw a comment made by somebody who I believe has some Christian convictions to some degree, and they, they put something out there on social media. And of course, it wasn't to the liking of a number of different groups, and so they sought very quickly to end his career and to ruin his life. And he quickly recanted. He quickly took back the comment and said, I was wrong, and I obviously have much to learn. And I said to Laura, why are they doing this? Speaking about the individual, I said, why are people allowing themselves to be bullied in this way? Why aren't they just standing their ground and say, that, that is what I believe? And Laura said, just, just be slow to speak. Wait until... You see what happens when they're at our door. And certainly, I've not been in that position. But it might not be long before Christians start to feel the consequences of their beliefs. And so now, now and not then in a reactionary way, but now we need to assure ourselves through God's word that God chose us to be part of the church in order to praise him. May that be our confidence, whatever God has in store in the days ahead. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you again this evening for this wonderful portion of scripture so rich in its theological truths. So many doctrines of salvation underpinned by the realities of your will being exercised towards us, you chose us, underpinned by the truth that you called us to be part of the church, and underpinned by the reality that it is all for the praise of your glory. Lord, I do ask that you would instill in our hearts this evening the simple and yet profound truth that you chose us to be part of the church so as to praise you, that you would work out that truth in our lives and that it would be a great, great comfort to us. It would assure us of who we are in Christ and that it would be a means by which we stand our ground and give you glory, no matter what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Throughout this series, Pastor Paul has admonished us to the importance of Christians uniting within a physical, local, Bible-believing church. As we believers gather, we not only bless and serve each other, but we give glory to our Savior and bless our Father in heaven. You know, there's always more to hear and room to grow on our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. 
Select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an archive of Pastor Paul's teachings. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If this program has a positive impact on your walk with Jesus, will you consider making a financial gift to be a part of this gospel outreach ministry? Your support makes you a part of reaching thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus. On the homepage of TimelessTruthToday.org, simply select Donate to make your gift of any size. Join us tomorrow. It's part one, our new series entitled, Behold My Servant. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.